When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Brian, your football story has been an extraordinary one by, uh, by any standards. If someone had said to you as a young boy growing up in Drimna in the 1950s and 60s that you'd win trophies with club and country, manage Ireland, go into broadcasting and become a voice of authority and some might even say a national treasure in the process, what would you have said to them back then? Well, I don't know how much of any of that is true uh, in relation to broadcasting and, and so on. In relation to football and the achievements, um, when I was a young fella, I certainly had ambitions to be a player. I wanted, I wanted to play at a high level. My heroes were the Irish international players of, of that time. And, and, of course, the players who played in the League of Ireland... Um, some we didn't like because they played for other clubs but the players are Pats in particular from the time I started going to Inchicar so I had ambitions to be involved in, in the game of course I wanted to be a player but I probably identified fairly early in my life that I wasn't going to be good enough Tommy to play at the level that I had ambitions to play at um, I think by the time I was 17 or 18, I recognised that I wasn't going to have a career as a, as, a, as a professional footballer where we all aspired to go to England. Or I also probably recognised that I might not even make it to the League of Ireland level. But I, I had already recognised that I had the talent for organising teams and making sure that there was a ball to play the match with and maybe a set of gear and that the team were put out in the shape and a system and an organisation that might help the team to win the match. Whether that was the team I was playing on myself, which I'd often end up as the captain of the team for some reason. And that would have been in different sports. That wasn't just in, 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 in soccer. It was also in, in Gaelic and even in Horland, which I wasn't brilliant at Horland, but I was good enough to play and be effective and score a few goals, sometimes with me left foot. But... Um, I, I, I kind of understood early on that if I was going to do something substantial that was um, that, that I felt was worthwhile and that, that I was going to enjoy it might be on the side of coaching yeah. if you suggested then I might end up as a manager of the senior team I'd say go away with that but you know I did have I did have some ambitions in my mind, but I didn't tell anyone about yeah. them. I didn't dream, didn't talk about dreams. I, I wonder, because many of us realise when we're teenagers that we're not going to fulfil our ambitions as, as players and we go off into other aspects of life. But what was it that you think, looking back now, made you think that you wanted to organise and control 
and, and be in charge of, of teams and bring them together. Um, I mean, I know your father was a very well-known boxer in his own day and then coached boxing and ran boxing clubs. And you were obviously, you know, watching what he was doing. Was that a formative influence on you growing up? Thinking back on it, I, I would say it, it may have been. But, you know, unfortunately, I didn't get to know my dad very well because people at that time worked um, a lot of hours, maybe more hours than, than regular workers at this time. Um, but I did go to a lot of boxing with him when I was a, a young kid, going to the stadium regularly on a Friday night to various club shows or international bouts or... Um, championships, junior championships, intermediate championships. And maybe I saw something in his influence and his authority. He was a very quiet fella. He was a bit like myself, very quiet. And uh, didn't, he, you know, I, I, I probably didn't recognise his, his organisational ability, but he obviously had something that was, was special because he, he worked very successfully, not just with local clubs and clubs like Polykoff's and Dublin Maccabi, and, but, but most of all Trinity College mm. and his links in there. And I was, I remember being brought to Trinity College and seeing him coaching um, with the boxers in Trinity College, seeing them in the ring. I saw a bit of that, but I don't know if it had an influence on my organisational stuff. I think he, he, he taught me about hard work without saying anything. He taught me about the value of studying something and being committed to it and being prepared to be open and to look at other sports um, and include some of the things you see in other sports. I mean, my childhood was, a, was a, a blur of sport, a blur of going to Crow Park to watch the dubs, going to watch Good Council, my local Gaelic team, going to watch all sorts of local soccer teams, international matches in Daly Mount, soccer matches in Tolka Park, Daly Mount Park, Richmond Park, Milltown, um, Wore a polo in the in the in the bats out in Black Rock <laughs> to watch an international tournament one day, and I'd go on my own like me. They let me go. They, my parents gave me the money for the bus fare or the train, whatever it was, to go out and watch these things. It sounds like you know people talk about you eat to this day, and they say talk about your passion for the game and also encyclopedic attention to detail and interest in in the characters who are playing in the games and the, the players from different countries and a real. It's it's not just you know it's it's a it's a total uh, interest and a, and a total passion and and that sounds like that comes from a childhood sort of absolutely embroiled in sport in in all areas of your life and when people talk about growing up in that era in Ireland they they always say oh it was a grim time it was a, you know a hard time and but 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 it sounded like a very rich time in terms of. That, that area of culture and the sort of distractions that you could enjoy. Yeah, I, I, like, I, I don't see it. I don't ever think back of, a, of that time as, as a Graham. And maybe we were, we were fortunate and blessed to be where, where we were and where we lived. It was a very competitive sport environment. I mean, you think, like I think about it, my best mate became the world champion at 5,000 metres, the first ever... Uh, Athletics World Championships 1983, and Eamon, Eamon Coughlin wins that, and he, he was fourth in the Olympics twice. And but he was he was the, the, the he, he was the, you know such a top athlete, 
and we were trying to compete with him in running. We used to have these running events where the winner was whoever lasted the longest running around this field and dreaming. And it appeared like it went on for hours. He just went on and on and on and on. And you try and compete with that. But it wasn't at all ground. It was opportunity to go out. It was exciting to go to a League of Ireland then. You, you would know about, you know, going to the League of Ireland when you were a kid and only God probably going to Finn Harps. For me, it was going to Richmond Park and it was like a field of dreams. There was this green patch. I mean, there was probably a lot of, it was a lot of muck on it then the pitch wasn't pristine like the pitches now but there was a fence around the pitch there was big crowds there was excitement going in men you know uh, men cheering and shouting and screaming and admiring and lots of goals there was a lot more goals in football than there is now goal scoring and there was people that you could look at you know I looked at Ronnie Whelan's father who was my hero as a kid he played for Ireland he played for Pats and he got to play for Ireland Dinny Lowry got to play for Ireland but you got watch Rovers and Pats and Rovers had Tui and Balaam and Jackie Mooney and Frank O'Neill and these players and Shea Keogh and Pat Courtney fantastic player but they play, They got to play for Ireland occasionally as well So, but you could go and see them mm. and you might even see them at Mass on a Sunday you might see them walking the, down the road you could see them coming out after the match if you hung around for a while they'd be coming out with their boots and a bag like in a, not a very posh bag in a brown paper bag maybe they were very ordinary people but they were stars to me whereas nowadays kids their stars their heroes are in England, they're abroad and they're almost untouchable. It's very hard to get near them. Then it wasn't. But I admired the managers. That was the thing that often attracted me. I admired Billy Nicholson at Spurs and Matt Busby at Manchester United at that time and all the other top managers. Uh, they, they, aren't the, they weren't the icons then as they are now. But I was always very interested in what they could do. And when I went to watch matches... I used to often watch who the manager was. And I used to think that these fellas were, were incredible, that they had a magic, that they could change results. So you kind of asked, and when did you feel, and what, did, what made you go that direction? I think it was when I started managing teams myself, and I felt an inner joy um, that was the, akin to scoring goals and matches without playing in the match, that I had an influence on the result of the match because I was the coach or the manager and I, I put I put the players out in certain positions and put these lads I knew from around Rimland and Crumlin, put them in positions that were effective and, and they, they were getting joy from winning the match. Imagine trusting a 15 or 16 or 17 year old kid to take a gang of kids away to a match and afford a far flung place in Dublin on two buses and get them all there, play the match, get them back safely and get them home safely and, and, and probably win the match as well. You know, imagine trusting someone to do that now without filling out about 40 forms to make it happen. Do you know anything about being the physio? This is the funniest form. I said, oh, well, I'd know, know a bit. I wouldn't know that much. He said, you'd know when a fella's leg is broke, would you? <laughs>move on to Liam Tuhi and his role um, in your development as, as a manager. He, he, he picks out something that, you know, I, like we were talking about your qualities even at that age. This is a quote from him. He said that Brian was very good at man management even when he was young. He was able to criticise a player and not, not lose their respect. He'll have a go and then it's forgotten. So he, he'd obviously picked out qualities in you. Some of the things that you're talking about earlier that you weren't necessarily shouting and roaring at, at players, but that qualities that he he suspected and, and was proven right would make a good manager. Tui inspired people to have confidence in themselves by giving you a role. 
he was a he just had a charisma he had a, a wit he had a he had a magic about him and the fact that he was prepared to trust and have faith in me to manage Sean Crowe's youth team gave me a bit of confidence and he gave me a bit of dig out but he did extraordinary things that that I I picked up on like he used to come and mark the pitch for us for matches on the Sunday morning. Now, at the time, he was the manager of the Irish Inter Senior International team. He was a manager of Shamrock Rovers. He was a manager of the League of Ireland team. He was a salesman for, I think it was Valley Ice Cream at the time. He was on the road and he was doing all. But yeah, on a Sunday morning, he would come down and mark the pitch in his, I can remember him wearing the, 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 the sheepskin coat even, and me arriving with the bag of gear and so, whatever, bits and pieces that I had with me. And he would be out there with a brush and a bucket. And, I, and even my head at that time understood that this was someone special. That the importance of the pitch being right for the youth team's match, even if you're the manager of Ireland, that you should do that job. It was ingrained in my mind that you do whatever you have to do to make things right for the people that you want to perform on the stage. You try to do the best for them to make the preparations. well. And that, that includes not having any ego about your role, that any job is, is, is below you. I, I want to talk about the time in the, with the youth international setups where, where you said it was one of the happiest times of your life with, with Liam. And Noel O'Reilly was in the picture at that stage as well, your, your great friend. Yeah, well, I knew Noel a little bit before I went, but, but Tui made the phone call to me um, way before the mobile phone here to my house, and he said, look, I'm after taking on the job as the manager of the youth team, the Irish youth team. He said, I'm keeping Noel O'Reilly. Do you know him? I said, I do, yeah. He said, I'm keeping Noel, and then and then you'll be coming. And I said, and what will I be doing? And he said, ah, you'll be doing a bit of everything. He said, uh, you'll be, sometimes you'll be the physio. <laughs> he said, sometimes you'll be the physio, sometimes you'll be the trainer. Sometimes you'd be the coach and you might be doing a bit of man. And I said, all right. He said, do you, do you know anything about being the physio? This is the funniest thing. I said, oh, well, I'd know, know a bit. I wouldn't know that much. He said, you'd know when a fella's leg is broke, would you? <laughs> <laughs> and I said, I would because I'd hear the screams. He said, oh, well, that'll be grand because we'll have a doctor with us as well. <laughs> and that was, that was too, he's setting it up. So that was, that was my introduction to the, so he put together that, that team of Noel O'Reilly named to me myself. You said it was it was about the training, morale, the people, and the decency, which I think is a, is a very um, as again it's that that theme of it being about more than just you know results over everything. That there was there was something the, the word decency coming in there. That it was it, it was about doing things in the right way. Well, you know, I'd like to think that that, that applies to. All aspects of life, I think, and all aspects of work and teams and people who have to work together in, in, in any job. You know, you, you can create an environment where people feel comfortable, but maybe on edge that they've got to try and do the job well. But there's also a, an atmosphere about it that, that if it goes well here, we'll, be, we, we'll celebrate a bit. We might even get rewarded. Mm. In that sense, with the youth team, there was no reward. We were, our reward was the satisfaction of doing it. There was no financial compensation too. He was doing it for nothing. We were all doing it for nothing. You know, he gave you responsibility. He would say, he would say uh, 
what are we doing at the training today was one of his ones to Noel and myself. <laughs> and we'd go, um, we'd be a bit of nervousness. I mean, this man was an icon of Irish football. And uh, we, we'd kind of say, well, what would you like? And he'd say, what did I bring you for? You take the train and I'll watch, you know. And that was it. That was his way of saying, I trust you. And his other funny one would be, he'd say, I'll take the keepers and have a few shots at them and see the any use. And he loved that. He loved taking the goalkeepers. And he was still able to really test the goalkeepers with his shooting and uh, his little drills he'd do with the goalkeepers. And he'd leave us alone. He'd keep an eye and he'd ramble down. It was just, it was an education. It was, a, it was the best education someone could get to have an experience of great player as he was in the League of Ireland with Rovers and in England at this time at Newcastle and then as the international manager. So, you know, I'd and like to think we took a lot from it and maybe we added a little bit to this and to there, set up. But there was success as well, th- reaching three European Championships um, and a World Cup. And, you know, there were players like... Uh, this would have been the likes of Niall Quinn would have been involved, Dennis Irwin, players players coming through, working with players. And were you starting to get a sense of the job of developing players, giving players a help along towards careers that would be successful later on? Well, I think Liam had that influence on players. I saw how he managed players and how he spoke to them and his interest he took in them. I mean, there wasn't a lot of money around he, you know, Liam wasn't spending, he would have went over to England, watched some of the players playing in the youth teams. I mean, Dennis Irwin was um, was one who started to come through. He, he was at Leeds and he was let go. He was playing the youth team with us. I don't think he'd had a first team game. But we had John Sheridan who was broke through to the first team fairly soon after Liam had picked him. You mentioned Noel. Noel was at Arsenal and players like Aaron Callaghan were playing. But Liam made a team out of them. The first thing was that you had to do your stuff for us. You had to turn up, you had to train well, you had to play well. But he also gave them the confidence that we could, we, we could take anyone on. We had players who were starting to play and develop and they became part of the Jack Charlton era, were part of the great successes. Some of them played at lower levels, less, uh, lesser careers, let's say. But they did okay. But they all, re- all remember that time with Liam and the joy and the fun but also the level that we were playing at, I mean, the level of the opposition we were in, we, you know, we went to Russia and got to the semi-final of the European Championships in, in 1984. And we were due to go to Chile for the World Cup the next year for the World Cup under 20. But because of unrest in, in Chile and uh, the, uh, the horrible regime uh, there at the time and the football grounds were being used as prisons, FIFA changed it back to USSR. So we had been in the USSR the previous year. We played in Leningrad. We won the group in Leningrad. We beat we beat uh, Scotland 3-0, Andy Roxburgh's team. We beat Portugal 3-2. And we drew, drew, drew 1-1 with Greece on a very, very, very hot sun, Sunday, which is a good story on that one. We, we went to Mass on the Sunday morning. And Andy Roxburgh asked us, could some of his Catholic players go with us to the Mass? So Liam, of course, said, yeah, no problem. Put the lads on the bus. So the Scots lads on the bus with us, the Scotland tracks, it was seven or eight of them. So we go to the mass. But the mass was a, a Russian Orthodox mass. And what Liam and Andy Roxburgh didn't realise, the mass was going to go on for about two hours, right? <laughs> so by the time we got back to the hotel, Andy Roxburgh was standing on the, 
on the steps of the hotel, cracking up because it was pre-match meal time. No sign of the players. They were still at the the man, and he was Andy Roxburgh was doing his no. But he got his players anyway. And the way they went, we went back to their stuff, and we went off and played Greece. But we won the group, and we went to the semi-final in Moscow. We lost in the in, in the semi-final to a USSR. 2-1. We led 1-0 at half-time. John Neal goal. And I always remember we, we were getting battered. And uh, it was... Uh, young Alan Kelly was in goal. He was having an extraordinary game. And we were going in the half-time. And myself and Noel kind of said to Liam, what, what are you going to do? And, like, there was... This was in the Olympic Stadium in Moscow. And the Olympic Stadium was full. I think there was 60,000, 70,000 people at the match. Hammer and sickle flags. Extraordinary scene. Sunday afternoon, roasting in July. And uh, Liam said, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. He said, I think I'll give them all rosy beers and we say a few prayers. Right? <laughs> now he said this in the corridor on the way down under this uh, monumental stadium and typical Russian entrance, wide corridor on the way down as if they were going to drive a, a tank through it. right? And he said this with a smile. Of course, he went in at half time and just completely different, young centre-half, uh, Noel Bollard and Che Porcel and Cherry Archer playing centre-half against Russia. Then the Zoom was right back. Pat Kelch was left back, who later won the league medal with, with me, with St. Pats, he was at United at the time, Man United. And Liam goes, that's excellent. Just keep it, keep playing, keep it. Keep picking out a green short. This was as often as line. Take your man on, get into the box. Simple stuff. But confidence building, we were getting battered, but we were winning, you know. But it wasn't, no shouting and screaming, no, no need for rosary beards. But it was calm. Now, we lost 2-1. We just ran out of steam. And then we lost the third place playoff as well to Poland. But what an experience. This era kind of comes sort of crashing to a halt when Jack Charlton walks into the halftime dressing room. And I said to myself, I said, oh, God. This is trouble. This era, or this phase, kind of comes sort of crashing to a halt when Jack Charlton walks into the halftime dressing room in a, in a match that Liam is, is, is giving a halftime talk in England. Yeah, in Leeds. In Leeds. Zen Road. And the experience, this is just when Jack was newly appointed as, as Ireland's senior team manager. And it was felt, it was, Liam felt so humiliated by the experience and, and you as a team that it, it was a resignation matter. Would you, after that, have decidedly mixed feelings about even the success that Ireland enjoyed under Jack Charlton? Did that colour how you felt about what happened after that? Um, it, it just seems to have, to have been a very unpleasant thing to have happened. It did colour that time for me um, and my experience of it and my sometimes I had a lack of joy about it, you know, mm. because I was in the dressing room. Liam had actually met Jack at lunchtime that day and I remember coming across Liam at about three o'clock in the afternoon and he had a, a very severe look on his face, which was not totally unusual for him. On the match day, there was always a bit of tension about us all, you know. And I said, how'd it go with, with your man? And he said to me, it didn't go great. He wouldn't be my cup of tea. I don't like how he wants us to play. 
no, it wouldn't be my cup of tea. And I said to myself, I said, oh God, this is trouble. This isn't going to work out. I'd never heard Liam say anything as negative about anyone. Jack came into the dressing room before the match and he, he Liam had done his piece and Jack said something along the lines of, uh, I, I'll, I'll come in at half time, I'll tell you what I think. If I don't, if I don't like what I'm saying, I'll be telling you what I think. And he made a, a bit of a reference to he didn't want to see too much tip-tapping about. It wasn't the word he used, but the word he used was, it would be a bit impolite to use here. And I remember looking at Noel and going, this isn't going to work. Basically, we had quite a small team and the style of football was not about booting the forward and chasing after it and chasing into the corners. It was... So we we were we were we were losing. I think we were losing one nothing maybe a half time against England. And Jack came in at half time and start berate start to berate the players about the way they were trying to pass the ball around and it was too short and you want to ging it down into the corners and chase after. And I, I can remember going, no. Oh, this is not. This is not. This is not us at all. I mean, he was berating these young players in the dressing room. Players were nearly shivering going over the second half, and we lost the match two nothing. And we we like we did what we had to do that night. There was a very dour atmosphere. There was a very, very hurt. There was a hurt around the atmosphere among the players and and, and the manager. I mean, Liam. And I remember we were going to the airport. The next day, and Liam said to Noel and myself, he said, look, oh, I'm out. He said, that's it, I'm done. We, we understood, we understood that. So, interestingly, we, we, there was one wonder seven-day and friendly match to be played down in Cork. And Jack Kelly, who was the secretary at the time, asked Noel and Liam, sorry, asked Noel and myself, will we stay on and take the team for that? And we did. We went down there and, you know, Curtis Fleming played and Pat Fenton played, Steve Staunton played. We won... I think we won 4-1. We played very well. And we told Jack after the match on, uh, when we were coming home the next day in the train that we were finished. Uh, we got a call asking to, to meet Jack about staying involved. And he mentioned the under-21 team to us. We met him in the Westbury Hotel. And we told him no. I t both Noel and myself had agreed that we, we, we weren't interested in staying on. And that was it. We because were, of the of the style of football that. Well, we were Liam had brought us in, and Liam was gone. And well, we'd been successful. I mean, the, the FAI made an, a, a grievous error at the time. They did they did great, you know. Like said, Des Casey was involved. Tony O'Neill did great. Liam Liam had been interviewed for the job as a senior manager, and as he as he said, funnily after I finished fourth. In a three-horse race, he said there was three people interviewed, but a fellow, fellow that wasn't got the job. The mistake they made was in not protecting Liam's position. Mm. That position should have been protected. That Liam was a, continued to manage the youth team under 18, under 17, as it was at the time, but they didn't do that. They gave Jack the authority. He brought in Morris Setters. Morris Setters ran the 21s and the youths disastrously. And that upset me and upset a lot of people. It upset Noel and myself, given what we'd built up. And provided, helped to provide players for Jack as well, for the successful teams. I mean, he, look, he got his own players and he did his own thing and he got in the, 
the you know the, the likes of Aldrich. Well, in fairness, Owen Hand had been Owen Hand was involved in getting John Aldrich and Ray Houghton, but Jack was the one that started playing them, and uh, Tommy Coyne and players like that. As that Charlton era is happening, and as somebody who's I mean we've talked about from when you were a small child being absolutely you know, wrapped up in Irish football and, and, and such a passion for it, while the nation was celebrating and, and jumping in fountains and, and you know, it was seen as an unbelievable triumph for us as a country. Were you one of the people who weren't necessarily feeling it in the same way and, 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 and weren't jumping I, into the fountains along well, with Well, for else. someone who had grown up and watching Ireland playing and loving any day we won an international match, because they were hard won those days, we didn't win too many. Uh, I enjoyed the fact that we were winning matches. I abhorred the style of football, given the quality of the players that was available to Jack with the emergence of, uh, of Ronnie Whelan and Mark Lawrence and players of that calibre with Liam Brady and Frank Stapleton. I had grown up on a, a different different values and a different style and, and, and been educated by Tui in particular about how it could be and how it could be successful with Irish players to play a different way and to take on the continental players, let's say, the way Liam did without you know, fabulous tactical detail or usually in depth. I mean, Liam's instructions are often quite, quite, quite short, really. Mm. But there was a clarity about them and it was a confidence about them. It was about giving players the confidence to get on the ball and play. So I didn't enjoy it, but I enjoyed aspects of success, the profile of football, the fact that every corner of Ireland started to take an interest in soccer. I mean, I went to a school where the caretaker in school used to take the ball on us when he saw us playing soccer in the schoolyard where he robbed the ball. As far as I was concerned, he was robbing the ball, but he had loads of footballs. And we, we used to, let's say, more or less bribe some of the Christian brothers that if they got the balls back, we would play well on the Gaelic team and the hurling for them. I never played a game of soccer for my school, ever. There was no soccer in the schools in Dublin. In, in that, you know, I finished school in 1970. I never played a game of football. It was banned. We were still part of the ban. So now we've got the new successful Irish team in the whole country and the soccer clubs. I enjoyed that. I was happy about that. I remember a particular incident in 1990 been at the match when, when, when we drew the game, which got us through the group, the, the game with, 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 with Netherlands. And I, I actually mooched a ticket of uh, someone must have been fairly high ranking. It was, I think it was Tommy Cummins out of Pats, or addressed him. Got me a decent ticket for the match. And I was in among some of the officialdom of Irish soccer, high up in the stand. And the fellas around me were crying and, you know, they were very, very emotional. And I remember thinking myself, looking at them with a sadness that they saw so much joy I used to feel that every week watching Pats. Mm. I used to feel that every week with the team I, I, I was involved in when we won the match. They were only getting it for the first time in their life now. They hadn't got that, that passion, that real passion and attachment to day-to-day -day football that I felt. So, But I was glad for them, but I didn't feel it the same. I was delighted we were going on and we were still in the tournament. I, I was delighted about that. Mm. But I, I didn't have... and. What upset me most was 
that neither Jack Charlton nor Morris Setters had any interest in what we were doing in Irish football. They were totally dismissive of people who were involved in the League of Ireland. They were dismissive of the game, of people walking in youth football, of schoolboy football that were going to produce the players. Oh, you know, ole, 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 and rule the and let's go and let's have it. But meanwhile, the game was going on here without the respect it deserved, and that frustrated me. We played in the space of a few years, we played, um, we played Finland in Dublin in Daly Mount, and we beat Finland. We went to Iran and we got a 1-1 a, a draw in Iran against the national team and we went to Tunisia in pre-season they used to always say so so Brian what war zone are you bringing us to this year pre-season <laughs> it was the joke that they saw them as war zone Hey there it's Michelle Norris I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen When I travel I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Eighty-six. Jack is getting going, but you're getting going with with Pats. And if you if you turn back to that sort of joy that you had watching the game as a boy, it's from Pats and it's from Inchicore and it's that lifelong love that you have. And you do describe it when you get the job as as a genuine dream come true. Is it still a dream when you're when the reality of managing the League of Ireland at the time, putting a team together on a shoestring? Week to week, um, not, I imagine transfer budgets were pretty limited at the time. Did you relish that? I, I didn't know what I was really getting myself into. But remember, Tommy, I was getting an opportunity. Uh, if I, uh, you quoted me there. For me, it was because I had never played the game in the League of Ireland. I'd never been good enough to get a game. Usually, the fellows that got, my, got those jobs were former international players who would come home or top players in the League of Ireland who had played for years and years, or as I used to often describe it, the centre-half whose bandage and knees were now totally buckling on him mm. and he was offered a job as player-manager for sure. And then he went, so that was, it wasn't a young fella who, at the time I was 33, it wasn't um, the career uh, of, of, of someone decorated with honours that... The directors of clubs who say, "Oh, here's a potential manager coming down the line. Here's a Pep Guardiola." They were taking a so chance on you. They took a chance on me, but they had seen, you know, what I had done with the reserves teams. We had played against Pats. I remember the previous year in the B division, and they put out their first team against us both times, Pats, and I was managing Shelbourne, 
and I'd like to think we bet them back black and blue. We bet them easy both times. And I remember one of the directors of Pats coming to me at an international match in Lansdowne Road and he said to me, Brendan Bourne, he said, you the fella was managing Shelbourne's B team last year. I said, yeah, it was. And I thought it was trouble. I thought maybe we'd rob something in the dressing room or run away with some of their, some of their footballs or something after me. And he said, uh, I just want to say to you, the, the, you were the best team I ever saw playing in the B division. And I was, I was totally taken aback. I thought nobody noticed. Mm. And in time, that led to a situation where Pat's offered me the job and I turned it down first because I was enjoying working with Mick Lawler so much. And then they came to me again. I said, I mightn't get the chance. But, you know, here I was on an unknown character and Pat's took a chance on me. And there might be a lesson out there for clubs. Yeah. I knew about putting teams together with small resources, little resort, not being able to... I'd never been in position buying players. I knew about recruit, recruitment of players. I had an eye. I developed an eye for spotting talent and potential. I think that was the thing that, that gave me the chance at Pats because there was no money. There was a, I think the first night I went in, they showed me the bills on the table and there was a pile that high of bills that were outstanding. And it wasn't my responsibility, but it was responsibility. <laughs> and, I, and that's what I understood. And combination of you know young players like Pat Fellin, um, other players who'd maybe be discarded at a higher level, pick them up, and you win the league in 1990. And there's great footage, I think, before the final whistle of the of the last match. The camera's just on you, and the sheer joy on your face when that, when that happens. Mm. Well, there was two days, Tommy. There was draw in 89-90, which I started passing December. 86, we won the Leinster Cup on Stephen's Day a month after I went there, which wasn't a bad start. I didn't claim all the glory for it because they were already in the final by the time I got the job. <laughs> but nonetheless, we won. I know you'd never ever seen Pats win anything. But, you know, we went very close in the league in my first full season. We, we went to Dundalk the last match. We needed to win to win the league. And we drew. Dundalk won the league. It was an extraordinary night, brilliant game. And then the following season, we, 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 went, we went back from second to fifth. But then the next year, I signed a couple of key players that made the difference. And we, we, we won the league in Drogheda. And that was great. I mean, and until the final whistle went in Drogheda, I probably kind of doubted that we were going to achieve it all along. Because I hadn't won too much as a manager. I'd won a few things, low down in divisions with, with, with Crumlin and, and, and so on and hit the bar in a lot of competitions. And I, I, I probably just felt something might go against us at the end, but it didn't. It was, it was a great day in my life, I, I make no bond, but it was a great day in the lives of Pat supporters mm. of my age. And ex, it was exhilarating because in the time 90 to 96, we'd had a liquidation on a receivership and it looked like we were going to lose the stadium, the, the ground in, in Chicor. Richmond Park, and there was a lot went on in that period, a lot of difficult days when the club almost went under. Around you the had to put money in yourself, didn't you? Look, you know, I'd, look, at, I put in a few quid, uh, but there was other great people like Tim O'Flaherty and Phil Mooney and Paul Garrigan and Noel Black, and they got dug in. We all got dug in, and the recovery started to get us back from Hurdles Cross to Inchicore and the rebuilding of the, of the stadium. 
and getting us back. And it was for those reasons when we won the league again. We had to build a new team. The whole team, the 1990 team, were gone. Had dispersed between... Mark went to Derry, Mark Ennis, but the rest of them mostly went to Rovers and Bowers and Shells even, which which was very, very tough for me to take. Mm. But that night when we we beat Dundalk in Dundalk to win the league, Paul Campbell's great goal was 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 a it was one of the great nights for Pats for the history of Pats for me personally. It, it, it was it was a great you know, cause it, it was it was kind of like a lot of the pain and heartache. I'd watch this team disbanding and playing for the other clubs against us, and my frustration watching the, that team fall apart. So I left it to go and manage the RSU teams in a good in a good place in a good place. Um, as well as the taste for the underdog or identification of the underdog, there's also, as I mentioned earlier, maybe it's from your your father's. Um, career, his background, the taste for the exotic that comes to the fore in 1989 when you take a combination of Pats and, and Bohemians players to Libya uh, to play a match uh, against a Libyan club side um, <clears throat> when Colonel Gaddafi was, you might say, persona non grata uh, amongst many international governments at the time. An incredible thing to happen in a, a trip that not many clubs would have as part of their itinerary even then or even now. How does that happen and yeah. how do you end up in situations well, like this? What happened was that both ourselves and Bohemians were knocked out of the cup early that year in the first round. Disaster. We were beating my home farm. We were approached, both of us were approached about the possibility of going to Libya, a joint team, because we had a weekend spare when the next round the cup came. And we were offered a sum of money to go, which was going to mean it was going to be wages to pay the players. Once again, the shoestring, things were very tight. And we agreed to go a half and half. And it was, I think it was eight Pats players and eight, eight Bowes players. And we went out to Libya. Uh, we went to Benghazi, actually. And we had an extraordinary time there. It was, it really was. It was, it was an eye opener. But we went and played the match. It was a, a, a carpet on the pitch, and it, you know, it might have been in Cleary's window during the 1916 rising. The carpet was that old, but it was green. It looked like a pitch, but it wasn't very comfortable to play on, or it wasn't very easy to fall on either. And it was glued together in part. In, in, Patches of it were glued together and there was tape across it. Anyway, it was an extraordinary time with the one-all draw. And that led us into a time of travelling with Pats and we could. I mean, we used to go and play in the north during difficult times. We went and played Linfield regularly. We went to play Portadown regularly in pre-season. But we also went to Tunisia with Pats in that, in that area. And um, we also uh, went to Iran. And I mean, how do you end up in these places? I, th I think we had a bit of a profile yeah. and, and, and people would contact you and say, would you be interested in going? Oh, you had this idea. It was more, why not? And educate the players a bit. Let them see a part of the world they might not. I mean, lads by them had started going on holidays to Spain and, you know, to, to, to France a bit. And we played in the space of a few years. We played, um, we played Finland in Dublin in Daly Mount and we beat Finland. We went to Iran and we got a 1-1 a, a draw in Iran against the national team. And we went to Tunisia just before the 1990 World Cup and we played Tunisia. They played England two weeks later and drew 1-1. I think Gary Lineker equalised in the last minute for England. But we got a nil-nil with, Tun with Tunisia as well. So 
you know, we used to joke about this, that we were, in, we were unbeaten in international competition for years, <laughs> right? That sounds funny, but the other big joke with the players was, in pre-season, they used to always say, so, so Brian, what war zone are you bringing us to this year, pre-season? <laughs> there was the joke that they saw them as war zone. But it was very interesting to see, and it was a very interesting atmosphere with 60,000 people watching St. Pat's playing the Iranian national team in the stadium. You know, it was just extraordinary and we're kind of scrapping our best out in the League of Ireland to try and fund this and for lads to get, you know, to get down to training two or three times a week and play matches on a Friday night or a Sunday afternoon and get off work. Um, you just mentioned there you're, you're, you were obviously in, in UCD as a, uh, in the science um, labs at that stage and you when you get the FAI job with the with the youth setup then you take a leave of absence what what was that experience like working in a field of high experimental endeavor in in, in the science area on one hand and then managing League of Ireland and another like I think you, you once said you know you were a caretaker of rats for a time and it was a good a good training ground for, for managing the League of Ireland I don't know if that was that was probably been, was, been harsh that? on the rats <laughs> <laughs> I, I look at I was fortunate you know through uh, a football connection uh, father father Alan Moles who, who was around Crumlin the parish of Crumlin and he had the connection and, you know, I got an interview for a job in UCD as, as, as a lab technician. I had no great grow for science after saving the school. In fact, you know, we used to be worried when we were in school, the, the, the science classes, that if someone broke the, the, the school beaker, we'd be in trouble because there was only one. There was very little scientific equipment in the school at that time. I ended up getting a job as a trainee lab technician. And part of that was you went to Kevin Street one day a week on day release and I had three nights college a week. And um, I did my exams and became a fully bloated technician. I don't claim I was a brilliant chemical analyst, but I was good on the precision of things that had to be done right, correctly and on time. And living within... The, the boundaries of time scales and organising time because sometimes you'd be doing tasks that involve multitasking and you might have um, some solution mixing over there and it'd be involving a stir and uh, 20 minutes on that you might have um, 10 samples in an oven at, at 400 degrees for a particular period of time and they had to finish on the minute and you had to manage all those things and bring them back in and maybe in between take four phone calls about the players and who was available for training <laughs> so that sort of stuff it was a good training and recording of information and I, I was always a good recorder of information of keeping things down and detailing like results and who scored in the match yeah they coincide and they bonded quite well football analysis players doing the right thing at the right time um, weighing up weighing up when to do it, when not to do it, um, making the decision. In relation to whether the players respected me or not, there wasn't one player who didn't turn up to play for me. Nothing was raised because I basically got a letter from the association telling me that my contract was not being renewed. That type of behaviour on that part left me stung, I'd say.
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 